Um, so if you would all please stand at this point. We're going to get into the word and we're going to get into prayer. We've got a few people um, that I would like you to be writing down and praying for that are not on our actual list. I'm going to read the first five verses in 1 Corinthians 15 and then we're going to go into prayer. Paul records for us as we've been here for these last three weeks. Now I will remind you brothers and sisters of the gospel I preached to you which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and then he appeared to Cephas or Peter. This is God's word. You may be seated as we go into prayer. Father, as we stop here this morning, in relation to your word, I pray that you would simply open up our hearts. You would teach us this morning the things that we need to know that we don't. You would open up our eyes to those things that we are so used to seeing that we really no longer see them. You would make our hearts tender and soft to the voice of the Holy Spirit. You would help us understand the unfolding drama and story of what Peter dealt with and the struggle that he had and how it is we can fit into that in the struggles that we have today. Lord, we have many people this morning that I want to lift up before you, those who are listed in the bulletin and all of the sicknesses and the struggles that they have. Uh, For Ken this morning especially, um, for Ken Elaine, pray your your healing be upon him. Um, Pray that you continue to um, walk with he and Rose through this chemo, but we pray especially for his health this morning as he had some issues last night. We pray for your healing upon his body um, and that you would encourage him in his spirit. I ask, Lord, that you would just give them both peace today as they continue to process that for Flossie and her entire family um, as they uh, have suffered loss once again. Uh, pray that you would just encourage her and, and her brother and her sisters and everybody involved. I just ask that you bring them a peace that surpasses all understanding and you would guard their hearts and their minds. You would reveal yourself to them, Lord, for a cat as um, you just continue to bring encouragement and peace to her um, and lift her up to you, Father, and I pray that your blessing be upon her and that she would, she and her husband and her entire family, they would, they would hear your voice, Lord, and they would continue to feel and, and sense the prayers of your people being lifted up for her and pray your peace be upon her and your healing be upon her. We pray for little Chase, Lord, who's gone through heart surgery at just a few months old and all of the things that are involved there um, from liver issues and heart issues. We pray for healing in that little boy. We ask, Father God, that your hands would be upon the doctors and the nurses, that you would give them not only wisdom, but that you would give them um, such an incredible gifting to be able to do the things that need to be done for this little one. We just lift up Chase to you and the entire family that you would just encourage them and that you would be with them and you would walk with them. Father, for anybody else who has issues that we're dealing with today, I just lift them up to you and I I put them before you. You know what they are and I, I ask that you would just meet those needs, whatever they are, according to your riches that we find in Jesus. Lift up my son in law and my daughter at the loss of his grandmother yesterday. We pray your peace be upon them as he prepares to travel to say goodbye to his grandmother. I ask, Lord, that you would work within that situation 
to make yourself known in, in such a way that people would find comfort and healing and peace in the name of Jesus. So as we move forward in your word this morning, Lord, I pray your blessing and your peace be upon this. Make our hearts fertile and our minds open to what it is you have to tell us this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. How is everybody? Good. I'm still working myself out of a food coma from yesterday. Um, thanks to my son-in-law and my daughter and my wife. They made a lot of food for me yesterday, and I didn't have to eat it. I did. Um, and that's just, you know, I didn't want to be rude, as it was. Um, so we enjoyed yesterday. It was a great day. Um, one of the things that I got to do as we take a look at Scripture this morning is I shared this with Jody, that if you stick around long enough, you get to see beautiful things. And I had the privilege and the honor of marrying a couple yesterday, um, one of whom I journeyed for a lot of years through substance abuse, who um, did 13 or 14 months in Teen Challenge, who is six years clean, um, is ministering in worship and has a ministry that um, reaches out to women who struggle with addiction. Her husband has been two years clean and he reaches out to men who struggle with addiction and the Lord just put the two of them together. And when I got the phone call to ask me if I could do that wedding, um, I wouldn't have missed that for anything. Because again, if you stay around long enough, you see the goodness of God in lives that were train wrecked um, for whatever reason. And um, he's been faithful to the two of them and it was a beautiful thing to unite two people in marriage um, who had journeyed separately in a very rough and rocky way. And um, in the broken beautiful, as Melinda said, um, they were brought together. So that, my day was full yesterday. And I just wanted to share that with you that um, never think that a seed sown here or a good encouraging word sown there will ever come back void if it's said in the name of the Lord. And again, it is good to hang around long enough to see wonderful things like that. So I'm encouraged by that. As we enter into the scriptures this morning, I've simply titled uh, the message, To Bring You to God. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And primarily, I really want us to focus on the fact that Peter, we're not going to look at Paul this week, we're going to look at Peter. He came to discover that Jesus died as he did. Jesus died as he did in accordance with the scriptures by the hands of violent men all that we as his people might be brought back to God. And our discovery today as we work our way through the scriptures is that every single thing occurs not because human beings make decisions and plans for them to occur, rather because God wills it and it's in God's design and it's according to his sovereign plan and as Paul would say, according to the scriptures. Now we spent the last couple of weeks leading up towards Easter taking a look at um, this chapter in 1 Corinthians 15 in Paul's letter and his entire reason behind this. This particular chapter in scripture is the earliest telling and the earliest recorded telling of what we call the gospel of the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And it's really set down for us the truths of who Jesus was, who Jesus is, and who we are in relation to him as his people and Paul's careful always to set down all that is needed for our understanding as we dig into the scriptures and all of the doctrines that are necessary and established for us so that we can understand who we are as his people. 
Now, this coming Easter Sunday, we're going to park right in this chapter, as I said earlier, having established that in accordance with the scriptures, this man of sorrows actually is our victorious King Jesus. This is what these men and these women had discovered and they were working out. And we're going to discover for ourselves what actually is of first importance and why it is we need to share that with people. Because it's not only of first importance to us, but it's of first importance to the entire world. So today we're going to take a look at Peter, our lovely friend Peter, and his journey of discovery that the scriptures themselves were pointing to Jesus all along. Now again, we have 2,000 years behind us, and we take a look at this, and we think, okay, yeah, Peter should have known all this business. No, oh, we're going to discover that it was a little bit different than that this morning, you see, because Paul tells us that Jesus appeared to a whole bunch of people in this chapter when you read it. But he appeared first and foremost to who? To Peter. He then went down the line to everybody else, to Peter, to the 12, and then to this person and that person, and a whole bunch of other people. But that it was Peter, of all people, whom Jesus decided to appear to first, very first after the resurrection. Now, why is that? You see, that's something that, we again, we take for granted. But why is that? You see, Peter insisted as a disciple in Jesus' last week that he would stand firm until the end. Peter didn't. Jesus, having told every single one of them that not one of them would stand firm to the end, Peter declares in the way that Peter always does, that though they all fall away, we're told in Matthew, because of you, I will never fall away. The others did the same thing, but they just weren't quite as loud as Peter was in the declaration that they would stand firm to the end. You see, in that same exact verse in Matthew's recording of what happened, Peter assisted that, insisted that not only would he not fall away, but he would go all the way to the cross and he would die with Jesus. This is what I'm going to do. But guess what? Peter didn't. We discover in Matthew that Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Insisting that he would never deny Jesus, again, speaks to his pride. It speaks to his inability to understand truly who Jesus was. So when Jesus says to him, listen, you're not going to make it, Peter. Peter says to him, oh, Jesus, you don't really know what you're talking about. I know myself. I am going to make it. It's the pride, it's the arrogance that we see in Peter. And Luke captures this very pained moment when this denial happens in the courtyard of the temple. And it's a lengthy passage, but I think it's very important for us to visit and it's beneficial for us to hear as we see exactly what Peter lives through on that very last night. And what I want you to do as you listen to these words, I want you to put yourself in Peter's shoes. Put yourself in Peter's shoes in the midst of this courtyard, not really understanding everything that's going on. Be inside the story as these events unfold. And when they say this, Luke records for us that they seized him, that's Jesus, and they led him away. Bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. So, so far, so good. So far, so good. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man also was with him, but he denied it saying, woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. 
And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Now Luke, being the historian, ever the observant one, records this for us. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Can you imagine in that moment when you deny the Lord and he turns and he looks at you? Eye contact. Impetuous, arrogant, irrational, and prideful Peter. Fickle. Very fickle. Always writing checks with his mouth that his spirit could never cash. Insisting that he can do things that he can't. It's no wonder Jesus decided to appear to him first. Who else would he appear to? After all, after all that Peter had done to deny Jesus, and then to have seen him laid in the tomb, not knowing what was going to happen. Remember, they don't have the end of the story. The last thing that Peter sees is Jesus' face looking at him after he denies him the third time. And then he's put in a tomb. Remember, we know what Sunday morning brings. They didn't. But why do we know what Sunday morning brings? We know what Sunday morning brings because Peter himself told us. Because he discovered, he understood what happened. And we'll learn that in a minute. But that particular Friday, that Friday, Peter and everyone else that followed Jesus scattered like scared little ants. And they had absolutely no idea what was coming down the road. None whatsoever. So he sat, Peter did, wherever it was he went and he held up for that couple days. And in his guilt and in his shame and in his pain, reflecting back on what it was he had done at that moment in time in the courtyard. Or worse yet, reflecting on what he hadn't done. Because Peter talked really big, but in the moment when it counted, he walked very small. And a servant girl frightened him to the point where he couldn't answer the question. I know who he is. He denied even knowing Jesus. He would never make that mistake again. Peter would never make that mistake. There would not be a time in his life we can read in the scriptures where he would ever say to anybody, I don't know who this Jesus is. But at this moment in time, he was broken. And much like Paul, the one who was abnormally born, when you come face to face with the resurrected Jesus, you have to make a decision. You cannot sit on the sidelines. A choice has to be made. There's many things that you can do with this Jesus of Nazareth. Be indecisive about him and remain uncommitted about him is not one of the things that you can do with this Jesus of Nazareth. A decision has to be made. He is either king of the universe or he is the biggest lunatic ever to walk the face of this planet. There is no in-between. A decision needs to be made. When he confronts us, 
when he looks at our hearts, when he confronts us and our choices is acceptance or our choice is rejection of what he has to bring to us. There is absolutely no middle ground. All of our issues and all of our baggage that we bring along with us and every single one of us have issues and every one of us have baggage, he will confront us right there where we need to be confronted. Why? Because he wants to conform us to his likeness in order that God the Father can then take the image bearers that Jesus died for and use them for his glory and for his purpose on this planet. We don't have a choice when confronted with this Jesus. We're either in or we're out. Nobody can look at him and go, I'll think about it. You see, as I said, Peter wasn't alone in his issues. He was not alone in his issues. All these guys had spent three plus years with Jesus. And still, right to the end, they all showed themselves to be the biggest bunch of misfits ever assembled. These are not the people that you would have wanted. God's rescue mission for the entire world will be left in the hands of these guys? These 12? Or these 11 at this point? This is who? You want to talk about a giant leap of faith in the dark? We have the end of the story, but it, right there at the beginning of it, these guys, I find encouragement in that because I'm a lot like Peter. I'm a lot like Paul. There's times I'm a lot like Thomas, but these guys, of course, these guys, because God would qualify them. God would qualify them. Let's think about this for a minute. Here's the roll call. Judas Iscariot, the dude who was lost before he was ever even found. A lover of money, a lover of power. He'd been stealing from his friends all along right from the outset. He comes to his end when having been used by Satan for God's divine purposes, takes his own life because he didn't have the courage to face up to what it was he did. So that's the difference between him and Peter. Judas denied him. Peter denied him. What's the difference? Peter held his ground. And when Jesus came to look at him, he repented. Judas didn't have what it took to do that. But he knew that he'd done something wrong. James and John, how about those boys? There's a couple of guys you'd like to have on your evangelistic team. I mean, let's think about that. The sons of thunder, they didn't come by that name as a joke, did they? Jesus didn't give them that nickname for nothing. They practiced what I call scorched earth evangelism everywhere they went. Walking through a town that didn't want anything at all to do with Jesus, what do they say? Oh, yeah, reject Jesus. Hey, Jesus, these people don't want anything to do with you. You want us to call fire down from heaven? We'll just cook them right now. Uh, no, I think we'll go with a no today on that one, boys. That's really not what we're in for. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. That'd be completely unproductive. I want to bring these people home. James would be the first martyr. John would go on to write five letters in the New Testament. But that's not where they were in this moment in time in the story. Thomas, the one who doubted unless he saw everything with his own eyes. I'm not going to believe a thing until I see Jesus. Don't tell me it was an accident that Jesus showed up to the 10 and Thomas wasn't there. Thomas needed to learn what faith was all about. Thomas needed to hear that we have seen the risen king. And then Jesus shows up and says, look it. Blessed is he who believes who what? Has not seen. You pick one. There's more. Who do you fit in with? I mean, there's others. We know their shortcomings in the midst of all of their calls. You can read it in the book of Acts. Where do you fit in? Where do you struggle to find your place in yourself when you're confronted with your personal weaknesses? 
how do you hand those over to the Lord? How do you fit in as one of his disciples? I want to say to you this morning, be encouraged and be of good cheer because you're in very good company. You're in very good company. If we learn to be obedient as we discover that Peter is and Paul was, God can do many, many things with people who feel completely unqualified. Because the truth of the matter is, is when we look at the story from that perspective, it's an absolute miracle that 2,000 years on, we're even sitting here having a conversation with one another. But that's proof of the resurrection of Jesus and the divine infilling and power of God's Holy Spirit to use people who are willing to do what he calls them to do. It's no wonder that Paul would tell the Corinthians that God chooses the weak, the simple, and the foolish to show his glory. He's just looking at the roll call of people who've been preaching the gospel. God chooses the weak, he chooses the foolish, he chooses the simple. Paul simply saw whom God chose and he realized that if not by grace through faith, then we are doomed. It is obedience to the call of God. With this lot of characters, it is a wonder we could ever find our way home. You see, but it's not about us. It's not about our skills. It's not about our abilities. Although we have them, because God has gifted us with them and we are called to use them, it is not about us, it's not about our skills, it's not about our abilities. We have to remember it's about Jesus. It's about his call on our life, it's about his plan, it's about his glory in the midst of all of the things that we are dealing with. It's about his call on your life. Whatever it is God has called you to do, it's about his call on your life. And then our obedience to step into that call and do that which God has called us to is what we're supposed to be doing. And then he takes care of the rest. He simply takes care of the rest. Is he being confronted with Jesus, Peter, it's very clear, came to an understanding that he was only one goofball amongst many trying to make sense of what was happening to the one they knew to be their Messiah. Well, why is that? Because again, as we've learned over the last two weeks, it wasn't supposed to be that way. This is not how a king comes to be a king. He doesn't come gentle and meek and riding on a donkey. He's not beaten to a pulp and hung on a cross. This isn't how it's supposed to be. You see, looking at Peter's letter to the churches all those years later, it's clear that his heart has been changed and conformed to the likeness of Jesus. Some 30 years on after these events, he discovered, as Paul had, that in fact, it was supposed to be exactly this in fact, it couldn't be any other way. You see, the scriptures had said so. Again, in Isaiah 53, in our first reading this morning, the prophet says that he was oppressed and he was afflicted. This is verses 7 through 9 in Isaiah 53. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living? Stricken for, the <clears throat> stricken for the transgressions of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. This is the man of sorrows. It seems, says absolutely nothing as lawless and violent men take hold of him like a lamb to the slaughter. See, Peter, all these years later, is pulling this passage from Isaiah forward into his letter to the churches for encouragement for them. 
as they're trying to figure out what to do. And he retells this entire thing around the truth that this is Jesus. He says in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was there deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Peter saw that in accordance with the scriptures, in accordance with the scriptures, Jesus of Nazareth just didn't appear out of nowhere. He wasn't a guy who put a good game plan together and hoped that people would follow him as though he was created to, quote, appear this way so that the story would work just so in order that all kinds of people would follow these early apostles and these leaders and all of that stuff. That's not how this was supposed to be. I mean, let's be honest. If you're going to write a story of victory, if we wanted to be a leader of some really great movement where we have the power and we're leading people in a way that we think is going to be great, this isn't the story that we would create. It's not how we would write it. It's not how we would try to tell it and sell it to people. No, it would be written completely different. It would be written completely different. All this story got every one of these followers was trouble and suffering. That's all it got them. They were the tail of the parade. They weren't leading the congregation. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. But you see, this is God's story. And as Peter discovered that this man of sorrows was his friend Jesus was his friend Jesus that his confession of faith you are the Messiah the son of the living God that Matthew records for us was in fact true Peter as with Paul sees our great exodus story from sin because of the atoning work of the cross that Jesus performed for us because we couldn't he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Peter continues in verse 24 of chapter 2 in his first letter. By his wounds you have been healed. He's pulling Isaiah's story right into his world. And he is establishing the fact that what Isaiah said some 700 years prior is Jesus, by his wounds you have been healed, for you are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Because we as sheep have strayed, Jesus, like the silent sheep before his shearers, did not stray, not ever, not even once, the Bible tells us. He set his face, the authorized version says, like flint, and headed for Jerusalem. He never wavered. His wounds, as Isaiah states, heals us and we have the ability to return. We have the ability to return, not because of what we did or what we can do, but because of Jesus' work of obedience. He was the man of sorrows at the same time he was king and Messiah. So why does it have to be this way, all in accordance with the scriptures? Why does it have to be this way? God could have done it any way he wanted. Why this way? Jesus paid a debt I could not pay. One of the hymns says he suffered that I would not have to. We've seen all of these things. We've seen the exodus and the atonement these past two weeks brought together in Jesus on the cross. 
We've seen the payment that he has given on our behalf, our freedom from the exile of sin that we have been placed in because of the lamb who was slain, but why? Why this way? Why did it have to end this way? Well, Genesis chapter three, once again, where we continue to go back to the beginning of the story, the crushed head. It's actually all right there at the very beginning. You see, we find the outworking of Adam and Eve's choice, idolatry, which we have learned. That's what sin is. We want to be our own gods. We want to be like God. I want you to look at verse 21 and 23 of Genesis chapter 3. It's a place we visited back at the end of January. We continue to go back to because God's story isn't fractured. It is telling us what God was going to do. The Lord God made for Adam and Eve, or Adam his, and for his wife, garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. There's two things I want you to see because we've read this passage multiple times this year in understanding God's story. The first thing I want you to see is that God made clothes for Adam and Eve. God made clothes for Adam and Eve and they didn't come from the local gap down on the corner. An animal needed to be sacrificed in order to cover their shame. Something needed to die that their shame be covered. That's an echo all the way forward to Jesus. And number two, he sent them away. He exiled them. You can't be here anymore. Out of the garden and away from his presence to work the ground from where Adam had come. Why? Because if they stayed, the Lord was concerned that they may very well eat from the tree of life and end up eternally in their sin. You see, the greatest act of grace was to block the way to the tree of life until the way, Jesus, was made back. It's all right there. God was very intentional. You can't be here. You can't be here. Peter tells us the end game of Jesus of Nazareth and the profound and simple truth is this. And here we are at our title. It's found in 1 Peter in 3.18. All this happened in accordance with the scripture, Peter tells us, that Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. That's the long and the short of it. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. To bring you and me to God. We can talk about all kinds of things, the atoning work, we can use all the fancy theology words, but you know why Jesus died? To bring us to God. Undoing the curse set in place by God because of the sin of Adam. The removal from God's presence and the inability for us to get back on our own has been reopened through Jesus of Nazareth and his work on the cross. He suffered once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us back to God. If you don't remember anything today, remember that. In other words, he did what he did to bring us home. To bring us home. 
You see, we were created to worship God. We were created to use the gifts he gave us to bring glory to him and then to reflect that glory out into this world as God's people for God's world. Not one of us here is an accident. Each one of us has a role to play. But Jesus died to bring us home. The prodigal sons and daughters who have no desire to come home, Jesus goes looking for them. The lost children, the sheep that stray, the rebellious teen who argues with mom and dad on a regular basis, if I could have the worship team. The wayward spouse who feels that the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. The man or the woman who's been so deeply hurt for whatever reason and just shakes their fist at the creator of the universe. You see, the way's been made for anyone and everyone who would hear the voice of God and soften their hearts towards what he says and his call. There's a lot of things that we can take a look at in the scriptures as we close this morning. As we move on into Good Friday and we move on into Easter, if you remember nothing else, Jesus Christ of Nazareth was born of a virgin. He lived the life that he lived. He suffered and died the death that he suffered in order to be rose Arise again from the dead. Why? To bring you and me home. Enough with what the enemy was doing. God wants his kids to come home. And there's not one human being on planet earth that has ever strayed so far that God can't find you. There's nothing that any of you here today could ever do or have ever done where God says sorry. That's just too much for me to handle. No, no. You see, what I want to encourage you today as we close in this last song and in prayer, if you hear your heart being tugged, if you hear a voice, don't harden your hearts like Pharaoh did. Let's stand. Heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. This is a personal moment between you and the Lord. Challenge that Peter gives us as he discovered who Jesus was was the challenge to come home. And I don't know where everyone's heart is in here today. Quite honestly, that's not my business. My business is to present the gospel. But it is also my job to challenge you this morning. If you have never said to Jesus, you know what? I want to come home. I want to come home. The Bible calls that repenting and believing. I want to challenge you this morning. If you have not done that, we have people around this sanctuary this morning. Don't harden your hearts. Allow the Holy Spirit to motivate you and move you to step out and and receive that prayer from one of our deacons and our elders that they would pray with you that you may give your heart to the Lord. Repent and believe. And for everybody else here who has already begun that journey and that walk with Christ as King and Messiah, I want to challenge you this morning, wherever this found you, if you have issues that you need prayer for, 
We have people who want to covenant with you in prayer together here in the front and in the back. Do not leave this worship center today until somebody prays with you. Father, as we close this morning, I pray that you would stir the hearts of those who are here. You would embolden them. You would encourage them. And you would walk with them right to the very spot they need to be in order to get the prayer that they need, the forgiveness that they need. There isn't one person on this planet that you look at them and say, no way. Every human being you see, you ask, are you ready to come home? Help us to see that today, Lord, in Jesus' name.